As we open the Word of God, we are in the book called Second Peter, the second letter of Peter. And I've called this study that we just began a couple of weeks ago, I've, I've called it Watching with Pete. We know that Pete is a very different person from Simon Peter, who we met at the beginning of the Gospels here 30 years later. He's just an, an incredible rock. He's an incredible man as he leads in the church, as he has his eyes open, as he spiritually is discerning uh, the things of need and concern in the early church. Uh, and he is uh, very much concerned about the things that may be coming. It's an alert uh, time for the early church. And so in chapter 1, Pete began with what we could call a threat assessment. And many of you are familiar with that term because uh, it's a process of discerning the potential threats, uh, the, the credibility of various threats. And it's done by all kinds of uh, groups, uh, governmental and intelligence agencies, businesses, and school systems. What, what are the things we need to be concerned about? And in 64 AD, the most obvious thing was the, the looming horizon of uh, the Roman government and the rise of Nero as emperor. Nero is going to be the worst of the persecutors. And uh, everyone knew that the Roman government, while it could be very, very good at times, also had absolute power and it could be very frightening. But Pete didn't start there. Pete started within us as believers, that oftentimes the biggest threat for us to be concerned about is to look inside ourselves. So Pete pointed out these eight foundational qualities uh, that will keep you from falling. It's so interesting with the things, many things that we can be concerned about in our world. Pete says, you need to first look in yourself. And he starts with faith. Faith is our foundation. You're saved by faith, and, and faith is what is going to carry you through difficult times, uh, uh, through the tumult of the day. Uh, but add to faith uh, virtue as a guard. Virtue, that is living in a right way, in a godly way, is going to protect. It's a, it's a matter of integrity. This is what protects our faith. Add knowledge as a guide, knowledge of the Bible, knowledge of people, knowledge of our world. Knowledge is important. Add uh, self-control as the balance. How many of you know you can know a whole lot, but if you're not self-controlled, you kind of blow it? Some of you have been there, I know. I have. Uh, add steadfastness. It's the stick to over time is our stabilizer. Add godliness as a witness. Add brotherly affection as a testimony. It's the way that they will know that there's a difference the brotherly affection that is among us, and then add love, agape love, because that delights the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, last weekend, uh, Pastor Paul led us in the next section of Scripture, uh, where he gave us several, several reminders. Uh, I, I want to remind you of some things. And first was, don't forget about those eight qualities. That wasn't just an introduction and a warm-up. That was really, really important stuff. And don't put your faith in any man other than Jesus. Don't put your faith in Pete. He says, I'm not going to be here. I'm in a tent that's going to be gone. And there's no man that you can put your faith in that's going to be here forever. And keep the word 
of God central. Those were the three things that we studied last weekend. Now, why are these important? It's because we're going to be in a time when there will be counterfeits, fakes, and frauds. And that is our study for this weekend. Second Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 1. I invite you uh, to hear God and His Word speak to us. Uh, it, you'll find this on page 1018 in the Bible that's out there. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Put your name in it and begin to study and read God's Word every day. Let's begin with verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was uh, tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Now let's stand and let's pray. Lord, that is an ominous word. But it's one we need to hear, or you would not have given it to us. We ask that you would help us to understand now in this day, in this century, in this time, the things we need to understand, the things we need to apply, the things we need to take hold of. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The external threat to believers was political persecution. That was the obvious thing. We might look around our world and see other external threats that concern us. We could make a whole list of them, but that was the big thing. The cultures of the Roman world and the kingdom of God were on a collision course. If you want to learn more about that or study more about that, uh, we have a class on Wednesday called Clash of Kingdoms with Ray Vanderlaan. It's amazing. 
uh, as we study this clash uh, that happened in the first century. The Christian movement was going to become an easy target for political blame and scapegoating, and that's the beginning of horrible persecution. Horrible. There were also internal threats to God's people, uh, such as these fakes and frauds uh, that he begins to talk about in chapter 2. You know, the truth is that an enemy won't have to attack us from the outside if we're deceived from within, <laughs> if, if, we, if we fall for the lies. So Pete says to us, false prophets also arose. He had talked about uh, the uh, prophets of old and the word of God and how marvelous that is. But uh, he now tells us, but also there were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So these are two different things, but similar. False prophets were a concern of the past, but they would continue. And false teachers were the biggest threat of the future uh, that Pete was foreseeing. So we're in the realm of those things that are fake and those things that are real. How do we tell the difference? He uses the word pseudo. We're familiar with that. We talk about a pseudonym as a fake name. It's sort of a gentle way of saying I write under another name. I have a pseudonym that I use when I write a novel or something like that. But this is a lot stronger, actually, in the Greek. Uh, He's talking about pseudo-religion. And pseudo means uh, the fakes and the frauds and the counterfeits. It means uh, things that are untrue, erroneous, deceitful, wicked, false, a lie. It's not a gentle sort of word as it's used here. It's also not a word that describes someone who makes a mistake or an uninformed interpretation. And I think that's important to know uh, because sometimes I talk to people and they say, I don't want to be a teacher because I might make a mistake. And I know James says that uh, teachers will be judged twice and I don't want to be a false teacher. That's not what he's talking about. Someone say, amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) I don't know about you. Have you ever prepared something and later found out, you know what? I was wrong. I, I do that. I study a little more and I go, I think I was wrong on that. And I always try to correct myself in some way. If I, if I made a statement that is incorrect. These uh, were people who twisted the truth, created lies about God and how he is at work. And specifically, he's talking about prophets and teachers. Why is that? In the Bible, prophets and teachers are similar, but they're different. So he talks about pseudo-prophetos and pseudo-didaskalos, or the Greek words. And false prophets are talked about in past tense and and teachers more in the future, but they're both something that we're concerned about. But these are the two types of leaders that are most likely to mislead. Why? They're the ones who are speaking uh, over the people. They're the ones who are giving us word that we are hearing as word from God. And so uh, they are of great concern. Prophets and teachers are named by the Apostle Paul as part of uh, the New Testament fivefold ministry. You may remember that from studying the book of Ephesians. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, which are the other name is pastors and teachers. And what is their job? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's a really important phrase there at the end. So prophecy and teaching are are also listed as part of the gifts of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul lists them in that way. Now, what are these other ones? An an apostle 
is gifted to carry the good news to a different culture. So we talk about the Apostle Paul. His job was to carry the gospel from a Jewish uh, mindset, a Jewish beginning into the Gentile world. It was a huge task. And so these are people that today we would call missionaries of some sense. You know, I would suggest to you that uh, someone that works in youth ministry is an apostle because it's a whole different culture that they are entering into. It's not entirely different, but it's greatly different from the rest of the culture. Uh, uh, an evangelist is gifted to announce the gospel and bring people to Christ. And a pastor is gifted to care for or to nurture or to guide the flock. So pastor and teacher often go together. In fact, in many churches, they'll, they'll call the minister a pastor teacher, and that's how I function in our church. I guide, I lead, I nurture, I, I, and, but I also teach, and this is part of what I do. Prophecy literally means to speak forth the truth or the word of God. That's what it means. Uh, it's defined as, as declaring the divine will. What does God want? What, what is God seeing for you as, as people of God? Uh, declaring the will, his will among the people. And prophecy may involve talking about the future, things we're going to be seeing or doing in the future. That may be the case, uh, but oftentimes it's foretelling rather than foretelling. So we need to kind of understand that. Prophecy was mainly foretelling speaking forth the word. But most of the Old Testament prophets were pronouncing correction and judgment. They were speaking about uh, things that were wrong, that people were doing wrong, and calling people to repentance. What, what is teaching? How is that different? Teaching exposes the truth of the word of God. We, we often call, call it expository teaching because it's exposing the truth that is within the word. And then it leads us to application. It's much more than facts and history. Uh, a Bible teacher, uh, well, any teacher, is someone recognized uh, to have knowledge on a topic. If someone teaches engineering, what do you have to know? Engineering. And, and that means you do have to know calculus. You know, these are things. You have to know the basics, the, the rudimentary things. It's the same with Bible teaching. Um, a teacher is recognized for correctly conveying principles uh, and, and of the subject and the discipline. <clears throat> Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. That meant there was a, an approval process. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling or rightly dividing the word of truth. So we want Bible teachers to, to be approved and to rightly handle the word. And there's usually a process for that. Now, Jesus, he was a teacher. He was a rabbi. They called him rabbi. They called him teacher. He was also uh, referred to as a prophet uh, because he was a proclaimer. I mean, he was, he was being prophetic all the time. Most rabbis studied uh, under some famous respected rabbi, and that was sort of like their seminary education. Uh, the two famous ones of the first century were Shammai and Gamaliel. And so they would say, oh, this, this rabbi, he studied under Gamaliel. Oh, that's a big deal. Or, or a student of Gamaliel. But Jesus never studied under any rabbi. He was peculiar in that way. In, in fact, uh, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 7 that 
Jesus taught as one who had authority, who had his own authority. He didn't say, well, as Rabbi Gamaliel once said. He never says. He never says that. In fact, he starts speaking, and it's word of God coming out of him. You have heard it said, and then, but I say unto you, and they were just going, this is amazing. We're hearing word of God, uh, but he, we don't know that he, he learned it from some human person. That was one of the first things that, that showed them this is very, very different. He had his own authority, uh, not that of a rabbi. So this is all important because prophecy and prophesying has become very popular these days. For, for years, you didn't hear much about it, in, except in maybe some theoretical sense. But today, we talk about prophecy a lot more. Sometimes you'll hear a sermon that, that resonates powerfully, and, uh, and you'll hear someone say, that was a really anointed prophetic sermon. Have you ever heard that or said that yourself? I see two of you nodding. Okay. Does that, is that true? Do you ever hear a prophetic sermon? Three of you, okay. Let's try again. Do you ever hear a sermon that is prophetic? Okay, okay, good. I just want to make sure you're with me. That means, that means I heard something that really stirred me and inspired me and spoke to me in a way that is going to change things, which is more than just understanding the word. Usually it's because it was the right word from the Lord at just the right time. And then we hear that in that way. You might have had a fellow believer come to you and say, I think I have a word for you about that situation. You may not have experienced that, but we hear more of that in, in these days. A spiritual counselor might say to someone they're counseling with or that they have counseled with, I have a scripture that the Lord gave me for you. I, I believe this is for you. This is all kind of a prophetic type of ministry. Now, these days, we also hear of traveling prophets who go from place to place, and they offer to give people a word, uh, people they've never met. And sometimes they're, they at least seem very observant because they seem to know things about people that they wouldn't have any other way of knowing. And it seems a little bit like a you know, Las Vegas show. How do you know these things? I think we want to be careful, and I'll tell you why, not to just dismiss that sort of thing. Uh, there are others who broadcast prophecies. They say, well, this is what's going to happen, and this is uh, some terrible thing, or this is what is going to happen in the economy or after the first of the year, and this is a prophetic statement. So are these true or all, are these false? What do we do with this sort of thing? There are some that say uh, all prophecy ended with the age of the apostles. In fact, there, there are whole groups that just say, no, everything supernatural ceased after the age of the apostles. And they argue that everything we need is revealed in the Bible. That's hard to argue against. And they conclude that anything that claims to be prophetic is by definition false. If you say you're prophesying, it is false because everything you need is in the Bible. And that the primary gift of, of God at work in the church today is teaching. And they're usually teachers who are saying that sort of thing. But they claim that God is not saying anything new to believers today. Now, I just have to say, and you've heard me say this before, I always have a problem with saying that God is not allowed to do something. Do you hear me? It, but, but I think it's kind of a dangerous thing. 
Because, you know, God has a way of taking you down off your high horse if you're trying to tell him what he's allowed to do and what he's not allowed to do. And I say that for a number of reasons. One, one is that I have had God speak to me. And uh, you might say, well, what did that sound like? And it wasn't like the voice you're hearing in the room right now, but I absolutely know that God has spoken to me. And, and in that clarity, and not real often, but in other ways, he speaks to me every day. He speaks to me in, in the spirit. He speaks to me in the word of God. And in so many ways, I just marvel at it. Sometimes I'm having a conversation with someone and God just puts it in my spirit. Listen, because he's saying, I'm talking to you right now in this conversation. The thing you're, you're experiencing with this person, the, the issue you need to listen to. And so I listen. Sometimes I've had people who gave, uh, gave me a word uh, and they said, uh, you know, I have a word that I believe the Lord has given to you. And I always listen to that. I, 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 there's a process for that as well. Sometimes the Lord has given me a word for a person and, and said, you need to share this word with this person. And it didn't make any sense to me. And so these are prophetic sorts of uh, experiences, and we need to not dismiss those kinds of things. Paul wrote, and he made this very, very clear. You're going to say, where's the scripture? <laughs> well, here it is. Paul said, do not quench, do not despise, test everything. Why don't we say those, those three phrases together? Ready? Do not quench, do not despise, test everything. First Thessalonians 5. Is where that comes from. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Boy, you have it all right there. It might be, if you didn't get anything else, get that scripture from our study today. NIV puts it this way. Do not put out the spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. And, and see, that's what we hear sometimes, treating prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Of course, test everything. If somebody comes to me and they say, I've got a word for you, I test it. You should test it. If you look at it and you say, this is very obviously uh, contradictory to the word of God, you need to do that. That's not true. That's, not, uh, that's a false prophecy if it contradicts the word of God. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Take hold of it if it's good. And avoid every kind of evil. Test everything. Now, it's also been my experience that sound teaching is critical, but a message will miss the mark if it doesn't rise to the level of being prophetic. What does that mean? Teaching will give you insight, but preaching inspires action. Teaching clarifies the truth. That's what I was talking about a few minutes ago. The, the sermon that you say, that made a turn in the road. I was listening. I was learning. I was thrilled with what I was learning. But there was a turn in the road where it was getting to me, where I was convicted by the Spirit, where uh, the, the prophetic side of this was drawing me into action. Prophetic preaching asks ask the question, so what? So we learned a bunch of stuff. I hope at the end of this message, we'll learn a bunch of stuff. But so what? What are we going to do? How do we respond? 
It's the application, the conviction of the heart. You know, it's often said that in our ministry, we're called to comfort the afflicted, but also to afflict the comfortable. I hope you feel afflicted from time to time because that's, that's our job. That's my job. So there were these false prophets and teachers in biblical times. Are there false prophets and teachers today? And I wanted to put in a big fill in the, bra- in the blank, duh, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, in fact, this was one of the first warnings that Jesus gave. Jesus's big sermon, you know, we call it Sermon on the Mount, near the end, he gives this warning. Matthew chapter 7, beware of false prophets. We need to be beware. Very same thing. That, you know, Pete, that's why this is big on Pete's agenda. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We've studied this several times. They're ready to eat you. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You'll see the fruit. You'll see the signs. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Don't miss that. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So this is the big thing. Jesus said you will recognize them by their fruits. And and we have to ask when we hear something, is this gifting or word accompanied by the fruit of the Holy Spirit? I mean, that's the first place we look. There's some other things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sometimes I've I've had, I remember, gosh, over 30 plus years, 40 years of ministry. One time I had a a man come into church, and he came before the service was started, and he came to me and he said, I have a word for your people today. I didn't know this man. And, And I said, oh. And he said, yes, the Lord has told me that I'm to speak today. And I wanted to say, well, he hasn't told me. <laughs> but but I, that would have seemed rude, see? So I said, um, and I learned this from someone, uh, an older pastor a long time ago. I said, okay, just sit over here. I, I was very kind and polite. And so uh, we went and we began the service and we started in the service. And then I noticed he just wondered why he wasn't being called up and he began fidgeting and he got more and more upset. And he finally, he just huffed and he went out. And that told me everything I needed to know because there was no fruit of the spirit. I knew that God had not sent him. If a word comes from someone and they're demanding and entitled and irritated and angry or brash, that's not fruit of the spirit. I'll tell you that the most trustworthy words I have ever received were presented in such humility and gentleness. I I mean, I've had people come to me and they've said, "Uh, Pastor Jeff, I think I have a word for you. I'm not sure what it means. And I'm really kind of embarrassed. I didn't want to share this with you. So I prayed about it. And three different times the Lord has told me, yes, you need to share this with Pastor Jeff. It may mean something to you. Just in such humility. And so I received that word, and it did mean something, and it was important for me to hear. And that's the way that that a prophetic word will be shared. 
You see, it's well known that you can best identify counterfeit money by really studying authentic money. If you handle money, you know this. If you, if you touch a $100 bill and you're, and you're familiar with $100 bills at all or money at all, you know immediately. You look at it, the touch, you immediately know from the paper. If, if, and then, then you draw a mark on it to see if that's really true. You don't need to draw a mark. You knew as soon because you're familiar with the authentic. It's the same thing with, uh, with prophecy and with teaching, with preaching and, and with teaching. If you're familiar with that which is authentic, you recognize that which is false when it comes along. Same with, with prophets and teachers. Well, Pete's going to give us six marks of a counterfeit prophet or teacher. They're not real long, but you heard them as we read the scripture. And we want to know them because we want to have our eyes open. We want to be able to spot a fake. With, with money, they say, if you look at this, you'll see the print is this way and the serial numbers are this way. You can know what to look for. And the first is they work in secret. False prophets and teachers who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And, and the word there in Greek means to infiltrate or smuggle from the outside. There's a secrecy to the whole thing. Now, Pete may have been referring uh, to the secret uh, mystics uh, religions of the day uh, that used secrets. They would say, well, we have a new religion thing going and we'll tell you the secrets, but you have to come and you have to study and then you'll learn the secrets. They were called Gnostic or Gnosticism, uh, a spiritual sounding movement that was based on this higher knowledge or secrets. I like to call them the Gnasty Gnostics. Um, but actually every cult that you've ever heard of is a form of Gnosticism. The second mark, false prophets and teachers have no spiritual covering. They don't have a connection. Jesus can come in and he can speak the word without a rabbi who's endorsed him, but you can't and we can't. Sneaking in from the outside, the scripture says they despise authority in verse 10. Uh, that's what Pete tells us. So there were many, we have to recognize, genuine traveling ministries um, that came in from the outside. Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Luke and Timothy, they were all traveling around. How were they different? They came with strong recommendation. They were ordained at the church, either in Jerusalem or in Antioch. They had the affirmation of the apostles. They had the affirmation and recommendation of the church that was there, the elders that were there in Antioch. That's what we call spiritual covering. They had been set apart most of them by laying on of hands. That's why we talk about ordination. Uh, it means that there is a covering on this person. They are set apart for this ministry. Well, what constitutes spiritual covering? What, what does that mean? Well, first, a commitment to an active place of fellowship and ministry. Uh, you know, I, I've had at different times people come into town and they say, we'd like to come and speak and, and play music at your church. And my first question is, well, where are you from? Who is your pastor? Uh, what is your fellowship? And the ones that are authentic say, I have a letter here from my pastor. I have a letter here from another pastor that I've ministered in that church. I have another letter. Okay, that's enough letters. All right. But, but I, I, I get it. I recognize it. 
I, I remember some years ago, there was a, um, a man and he had his family and they were traveling around. They had no fellowship. And they said, well, we're a faith ministry. We, we come around and we, and we do a faith ministry in different churches and then we're supported by people. They, they had no covering whatsoever. And it was really just, it wasn't a frightening thing, but it was, a, in a way, it was a scary thing for them. So these are the things, a recommendation, an affirmation by leaders, an active fellowship that holds the minister accountable. Many of you know that Michael Thompson, he preaches and teaches around. He's over in the Tampa area this morning. But when Michael began to enter back into ministry, he came to me and he said, Pastor Jeff, I need a covering. I need a, a connection. I need a place to be accountable. And so he submits what he's teaching to me. He sends me, a, a, if he's going to preach here or wherever, he will send me a, a list of his notes. And our board uh, voted to approve him as a traveling evangelist, traveling preacher. Uh, so that's, that's a part of covering, is to submit in that sort of a way. In 1 Timothy 5, uh, it says, do not be hasty in laying on of hands. So you're not supposed to do that really quick, but you're supposed to do that with authenticity. The third mark is they bring destructive ideas. Uh, false prophets and teachers bring destructive heresies. The word that's used here in Greek is fascinating. It's hieresis. Say that with me, hieresis. And, and we think, oh, heresy, that's, that's always terrible, you know, they, they, they burn people for being heretics and things like that. But the name hieresis really just means to have a different opinion, a different choice. If you believe something different than I do about predestination, that's a hieresis. That's an opinion. That's a, it's a different perspective. So by itself, that word doesn't mean anything evil. It doesn't mean anything bad. But if it's destructive, that's the big deal. In fact, Paul taught that there must be heresies. He uses the same word, factions, among you, so that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's how we figure out what is true. We discuss it, and then, and then we affirm what is true. Now, if it's completely amiss a, a from the Word of God, well, we know it's not true. In fact, Paul talked about disputable matters that we need to be careful about. We dialogue about those. But some teachings and prophecies were destructive. And back in, in Ephesians 4, it talks about this ministry of, of the fivefold ministry, these five different types, and their purpose is for building up the body of Christ to, to equip the saints. So if a, a prophecy or a teaching does not build up, that makes it by its nature destructive, and we need to, that's a red flag. If it tears down believers, if it tears down the body of Christ, it's not from the Holy Spirit. The, the word used there is a very strong one. Apollia means uh, to be a destroyer, a view that brings destruction. The fourth mark is they deny the master who bought them. Now, you might say, well, they don't sound like they're bought. They don't sound like they're even saved. The truth is Jesus has paid for everyone, but they have to receive that by faith. They may not have trusted by faith that grace to receive that grace, but they're denying the master who has paid for them. 
That may be the most significant thing. They deny the divine sacrifice of Jesus. There are some whole denominations that are doing that at this time. And they may not verbally deny Jesus, but their actions. I talked to someone not too long ago, and they said that they had visited a church, and they just had a sense that they should not go there. And I said, well, what was it? They said, it was the way they handled communion. There was no reverence in it. It was just kind of matter of fact, let's quick, quick. And so it's an important thing that Scripture tells us to to be very careful in how we handle uh, the Lord's Supper. And it's a telling sort of thing, not casual, not flippant. And in, in a sense, that denies the price that's been paid if we act that way. It's a destructive heresy to say that we're, we're not all lost and in need of salvation. Well, everybody's just fine. That, that's heresy. That's a, that's a destructive heresy. Legalism and salvation by works are, are destructive heresies. These are some that we could talk about. Uh, denying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is a destructive heresy. We could make a whole list of them. But these are the things that when we hear them, we recognize. How do you recognize them? You study the Bible. You're doing it right now. That's how you know the difference. The fifth mark is they follow their sensuality. Now, the word literally means filthiness, lasciviousness, wantonness. It's a pretty strong word. Now, there are God-given sensual expressions that God created and reserved for the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. That, that's what the Bible teaches. But there are some who follow sensuality that's outside of the teaching of Scripture. And again, in in verse 10, he says, those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. We know that sexuality is exploited all the time in advertising and business. I mean, you just see it all the time. What does that person in a bikini have to do with a car? You know, why is that in that advertisement? We see it constantly. But it also happens in, in ministries where there's a sensuality that's lifted up. You can also see moral sin and failure. Uh, in those ministries and in, in that situation. And, and any endorsement of sensual sin, that's a, a false... Well, it's, that's all okay because we live in a modern world. That is a false teaching. The sixth mark is greed that exploits others with false words. This is the one that the, the secular media points at all the time. That pastor has a big house, must be greedy. You don't know that. Uh, you don't know unless you know what they also give, you know. I know pastors that probably seem to live pretty lavishly. I had someone criticize our house because we have a swimming pool. And they said, no pastor should have a swimming pool. I guess they didn't have a swimming pool. We were, it came with a house. So it was the only house we could afford. It came with a house. Our kids loved it. Our grandkids love it now. But we, we get into those kinds of things. But this is talking about greed where they're driven by greed and they exploit others with false words. That's what Pete points out. Charlatans recognize that religion is a profitable business. Some may have begun in sincerity, but they were seduced by the greed. Sometimes people will ask me about a famous person, if I name names, you would know the names, who fell terribly and they seem to have great greed. And they say, do you think they were saved? And I think, absolutely. I listened to them when I really believed they were bringing the gospel. But they got seduced along the way by masses of money. 
And so these are the things that can sometimes happen. So the question is, why does God allow such things? We could ask that a lot about a lot of things. Amen? But the answer in verse 3 is, their condemnation from long ago is not idle. You don't have to worry about it. God has it under control. And their destruction is not asleep. The evil behind all of this is Satan himself. And in verse 4, he talks about that. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, then the Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. How many of you know God can handle that? Yes. You know, people sometimes ask me, they'll say, well, do you think that that person is going to go to hell? And I just step back and I say, how in the world would I know? And sometimes I'll say, that's way above my pay grade, you know. It's way above your pay grade too. How, how would I know that? If you had asked me at one point, do you think Saul of Tarsus is going to hell? I would be tempted to say, yeah. No one's more against the, the gospel of Christ. than. But look what God did with him. Because God can take him off his high horse very quickly. Judgment is always above your pay grade and mine. And we need to remember that. Jesus said he would take care of it. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There is judgment. God didn't spare the ancient world in the time of Noah. He did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah. He gives all these examples. He especially knows the judgment for those who indulge lust and, and defile uh, with passion. Fraud and falsehood is going to be met with condemnation and destruction. So that's, that's what we gather from this. Now, if you think that's kind of a strong message, let me just say next week it gets stronger. Because what starts in secrecy and quiet next week in the next section, you can, you're welcome to read ahead, it's your Bible, uh, becomes bold and brash and arrogant, and we see that. Things that we didn't talk about at one time in our society become bold and brash and arrogant, and so we're going to look into that. But for now, Pete says, be on the lookout. Watch for these telling marks. Sneaky, secret stuff, mysteries. All, all the cults are based in that. No spiritual covering. Someone that's going around and they don't have any connection. They don't have a pastor. They don't have a body of Christ. Destructive ideas. Things that people that tear down all the time. Deny they were bought by the master. Follow theirs after sensuality and greedy. These are the things to keep our eyes open for. I want us to close with a prayer, and it's in your e-notes, it's in your, your app notes, but I also have it here for us. And I want to invite you just to stand. It's a prayer that I, that I wrote out of this. It's not scripture, but it's scriptural. And it's in response uh, to what we have just been studying. So let's put it up, and I invite you to join with me in this prayer. It's my prayer. Open my eyes to see you clearly. Open my ears to hear your voice. Open my heart to know yours. Make my spirit vigilant in these times. Help me to see clearly the leaders 
who truly follow after you. By your Holy Spirit, help me to walk in alignment with your word. Help me to build up those around me. Help me to honor and reverence the great price you pay for my freedom. Keep my walk clean. Keep my heart pure in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the word and we thank you for the gospel. It may be that as we've studied, you've realized that you don't have that foundation of faith. You've never in your own heart said, I get it, Lord, I need you. I trust in you for my salvation by grace. I trust my faith, what you have done for me. And you may want to pray a prayer. Don't leave. You may want to pray a prayer in your heart right now that says, Lord, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me into the new creation. Cause me to walk with you as I trust you by faith. And if you pray that prayer, you, you begin. He's beginning to make you born again. And you begin that journey. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.